Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Is that all right? Thanks, John. Great. So, as Matt said, uh, my name is Katie. Um, I'm married to Matt, not that Matt, that Matt over there. Um, and uh, we have two daughters, and I'm one of the uh, part of the preaching team here at the Oak. And it's just, yeah, a real honor to be here this morning speaking to you. If you are joining us for the first time today, just a really special welcome to you. And if you're watching online, hello. And if you're watching back, hello. Um, if you are just joining us, uh, we are in the middle of a series looking at Acts chapter 2. We're thinking about the life of the very early church. This is a time when Jesus has just, he has risen from the dead and he's ascended back into heaven. And then there's been this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost on the church. The church has been born. And at the end of Acts 2, we get to see what a spirit-filled church looks like. I'm just going to read that passage now. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at it, what it means to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And today we're going to be looking at verses 45 and 46 and thinking about what does it mean to be devoted to generosity. Now I can imagine that at this point, some people are metaphorically or literally crossing their arms and thinking, well, if there's one thing we don't like talking about, it's money. And I just want to acknowledge up front that this is a really sensitive topic for a lot of people. I'm really aware that we are in a cost of living crisis, things are getting more expensive, and there, there may well be people here this morning who really struggle with money. This topic invokes big and difficult questions about how we should live, and if we're not careful, we end up in a place of guilt or anxiety or legalism. But let's be clear, the Bible, and Jesus in particular, talked about money all the time, so we can't ignore it. When I started thinking about this topic of generosity, the first thing that came into mind was actually a picture of kind of anti-generosity, um, like the opposite of generosity, um, because it is possible to give without giving generously. And the image that came to my mind was from a book by Charles Dickens called Bleak House. Anyone read Bleak House? I don't blame you if you haven't read it. It's like that fat. It's like a really long read. Um, I hadn't read it until a few years ago. I actually I watched a BBC dramatization of it, which is really good, highly recommend. Um, and then once I'd watched that, I went and then read the book. Um, and in the book, there's a character who makes a really brief appearance in the TV show and is a much bigger character in the book called Mrs. Pardigal. And Dickens has a lot of fun in his book, painting this satirical picture of Mrs. Pardigal and her five sons. This is a lady who is into everybody else's business. She gives a lot of time and money to the poor, but also insists that her boys do the same, whether they like it or not. Um, and in the book, uh, the giving of money to charities is called subscriptions, and there's a lot of humor in her complete lack of self-awareness as to how her family feel about her and her activities. And there's this passage in the book I just want to read um, where she is telling, uh, Mrs. Pardigal is speaking to the main character who's called Esther um, about herself and her family. 
They attend matins with me, very prettily done, at half past six o'clock in the morning, all year round, including, of course, in the depths of winter, said Mrs. Pardigal rapidly. And they are with me during the revolving duties of the day. I am a school lady, I'm a visiting lady, I'm a reading lady, I'm a distributing lady, I'm on the local linen box committee and many general committees, and my canvassing alone is very extensive, perhaps no one's more so. But they are my companions everywhere, and by these means they acquire that knowledge of the poor and that capacity of doing charitable business in general, in short, a taste for that sort of thing, which will render them in afterlife a service to their neighbours and a satisfaction to themselves. My young family are not frivolous. They expend the entire amount of their allowance in subscriptions under my direction, and they have attended as many public meetings and listened to as many lectures, orations and discussions as generally fall to the lot of few grown people. Alfred, five, who, as I mentioned, has of his own election joined the infant bonds of joy, is one of the very few children who manifested consciousness on the occasion after a fervid address of two hours from the chairman of the evening. Alfred glowered at us as if he never could or would forgive the injury of that night. There's just this really stark contrast between the description of the Acts 2 church, which is so full of life, and people are flocking to join it every single day, and then this description in Dickens, which is so draining of life. In the first, in the Acts passage, giving is being done out of love and out of gratitude and in response to the person who's in need. And then this picture in Dickens, giving is being done out of pride, out of a desire for everyone to see that they're giving, or it's being done unwillingly and under compulsion. And in both cases, without any real reference to the person who's in need. So how do we ensure that we cultivate a church culture that is devoted to generosity that looks like the first, the Acts church, and doesn't end up looking like the second? So for the rest of our time this morning, I'd like to think about three things. A generous heart is a response to a generous God. Generosity is about more than money. Generosity is not about less than money. So first off, a generous heart is a response to a generous God. If we're going to think about generosity, then we we have to start with who God is. And I just invite you now for a second to pause, and if you're happy to, to close your eyes and just think about something beautiful in creation. Might be a sunset or a mountain, might be someone you love, might be the taste of your favorite food. Just pause for a second and bring that to your mind. God has created our earth and everything in it. He's created a world that is beautifully rich in experience. Think about taste for a moment. God could have just created food that satisfied satisfied our need for energy. He didn't. He created us with tongues and taste buds that can experience this extraordinary variety of food and textures, sweet and salty and crunchy and juicy and all those things. hope you get what I mean. The Christian pastor Vaughan Roberts describes generosity as giving someone more than you're obliged to give them. And that's who God is. We see it in creation, we see it most supremely in Jesus. Jesus did not need to come to earth and did not need to die on a cross in our place, but he did. So God bestows upon us gift upon gift, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of relationship with him. He didn't have to do any of this. This is a generous gift from a generous God. In 1 Peter verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 18, It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. 
So if we want to be a people who are devoted to generosity, we have to start by recognizing the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless generosity of God that stems from his love for us. Everything we have is his, and it's all a gift from him. That's why Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, talks about, he's talking about generosity, and he ends by saying, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. So out of that place of generosity, uh, gratitude to, to God for his generosity should overflow generosity in our own hearts. But let's be honest and acknowledge that is not what always happens. We don't find it easy to be generous. Martin Luther described sin as a heart that is curved in on itself. And in our natural state, we just, we just want more. We want much more for ourselves, as much as we can get. As much stuff, as much great experiences, as much security as we can get. And that's what greed is, and it's deeply rooted in our hearts. And it means that we can approach everything in life, all our relationships, all our interactions, with a what's-in-this-for-me attitude. And we're immersed in this in our culture. We live in an upgrade culture, where for most people, the whole point of life, the whole point of existence, is just to keep getting more stuff and keep going beyond where they are now. Which is why we have to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and work to change our hearts. We cannot be generous by ourselves. We can't become generous by trying really hard. This is an area where we have to open ourselves up to the grace of God. Left to ourselves, we will never be satisfied. We will never be content with what we have. We will always be looking to acquire more for ourselves. We're always going to find it easier to grumble than to give thanks. We're always going to find it easier to fret about our finances than trust in God's provision. We have to come before God in our weakness, acknowledge our sin, and ask for his help to even want to change, to even want to become generous people. I find it so interesting that when Paul, in his letters in the New Testament, when he talks about giving, he never commands people to give. He said he keeps appealing to people to give because he doesn't want their giving to be about legalism, about meeting a minimum requirement. He doesn't say, you must give X amount in order to be a Christian. Instead, he encourages them to talk to God about this area of their lives, to respond to God's generosity in what they give. Um, there's this uh, passage I just want to read, which hopefully yeah, might appear on the screen. There we are, from 2 Corinthians. Thanks. Uh, so remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. When Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? He responds that it's to love, to love God, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which is challenging his hearers about who their neighbor is. 
Legalism minimizes. It has us ask, what is the minimum amount that I can do and still be in God's good, book, God's good books? But the message of the Bible is God is gracious and generous. He has saved us when we don't deserve it. And it's from that we invite the Holy Spirit in to transform our inward curving hearts into outward curved hearts that look out to love God, to love our neighbor, and a generosity that flows from that. So that's my first point, that we are generous because we are saved by a generous God. So the second thing I want to talk about this morning is that generosity is about more than money. God has blessed us with many things. And in the Acts 2 church, we see that they were showing more than just money and possessions. So first of all, they were giving their time. They gave their time to one another, and they gave their time to those practices that we've been talking about in these last few weeks, to prayer, to breaking bread together, to fellowship. In our world, the pace of life is frenetic, isn't it? Most of the time, it can be really hard um, for us to feel like we have any time to give. And it might be that God asks us to say no to something in order to have the ability to give time to something else. Everyone who is serving this morning is giving their time generously to the rest of us. I'm so grateful for the guys on the PA and the people who've done the refreshments and the people who've welcomed us on the door and those people who are downstairs right now serving in Treehouse and Youth and Nest. I'm so grateful for everyone who gives their time during the week so this place can be a base for mission with Connect Cafe and Coffee and Chaos, the group that we have for, um, for parents with young children. We have things like Who the Dad's Out once a month. There's so many amazing and exciting things going on through the week. And, uh, and those things happen because people give their time. So my question is, if you were to come to God with your diary and open it and ask him, where would you want me to give? What do you think God would say? Another thing the Acts Church did was they were giving use of their homes. They didn't have a building for that early church. They, they had to meet in each other's homes. And I wonder if, um, particularly maybe since lockdown, some of us, we've, we've just got out of the habit of having people around. What would it look like for us to offer God our homes? Who would he call us to invite in? This is not about kind of having some kind of Channel 4 come dine with me style experience where we're like inviting people around who are then going to be like really rude about your cooking. Like that's not what we're talking about. This is, it might mean that you invite people around and you serve soup. It doesn't have to be a four course meal. Um, it might mean that when we go around to each other's homes, we have grace for each other for the fact that there are still toys all over the floor and the bathroom hasn't been cleaned. That's also fine. Um, we drop the pretense that our homes and our lives are perfect and we open them up to who God might want us to invite. And hospitality, in the original sense of the word, isn't actually even about having your friends around. Hospitality is about inviting strangers into your home. And that feels like an even bigger step, isn't it? It's one thing to have people around that you know. What about people I don't know at all? Um, but yeah, that's what the Bible calls us to do. And then another thing we can do is we can be generous in how we think about other people and how we talk about other people. In Colossians it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, close yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As we live together as church, in our brokenness and our weakness, we will hurt each other. 
and we will let each other down. And we can be generous towards each other in how we forgive each other. And if someone approaches us to say that we have hurt them, we can be generous in how we respond to them. There was a prayer in the Lectio 365 app this week that really stuck with me. And it said, Give me a gracious and generous spirit that believes the best and forgives the worst for the sake of your son who died to make us one. I'll just read that again. Give me a gracious and generous spirit that believes the best and forgives the worst for the sake of your son who died to make us one. I guess the question is, what do we have in our hand to give? Sometimes we have things in our hand to give that we don't even recognize is there to be, that we could be generous with it. You might be someone at work who's an expert in something, and you could be generous with your time and the attention you give to someone who's a more junior colleague. You might be great at looking after kids, and you could provide childcare to a parent who just really needs a break for a few hours. God might have gifted you with spiritual gifts like teaching or leadership or pursuit of justice. I guess it's asking God, what is it that I have in my hand that I could give? And then seeing where God leads you in that. And finally, my final point this morning, which I feel like I've written differently in my notes to what I did on there. I have. <laughs> generosity is also about money. I've written generosity is about, not about less than money, but I feel like maybe I, when I did the slides, I was like, that's quite a convoluted sentence, so I've gone with that. <laughs> we can't talk about generosity and not talk about money. Tim Clemens, who's the pastor of Grace City Church in Sydney, Australia, says, money is a liquid form of God's generosity. Money is a liquid form of God's generosity. We can use it to obtain and use other gifts from God for ourselves or choose to use it for others. I just want to acknowledge again that it's not easy to talk about money, and a lot of us are not comfortable talking about it. It raises some strong emotions. For me personally, um, when I was about five years old, the business that my dad was running went into liquidation. It folded. And I can remember really distinctly my parents sitting me down uh, to have a talk about what was happening and to explain to me that we were not going to starve, but we wouldn't have all the things that we maybe wanted. And we'd have to be really careful with, with our money. And uh, my story is that God carried my family through, through the following years. He provided a new job for my dad, uh, and my parents worked really hard, but they were able to, to get back on their feet and gradually pay off the debts that they owed. Um, God was so gracious to us. We, we had a home the whole time, and we never went hungry, just as my parents said. But from that day on, I was always very aware of the power of money and the impact of having it or not having it, and, and the impact that could have. Many of you know I now work for Christians Against Poverty, which is a debt advice charity. And at CAP, we see day in and day out the impact of money, or the lack of money, and what it has on people's lives. And the thing is, most of us don't feel like we're wealthy. We've got rent or mortgages to pay, cost of energy is rising, food is getting more expensive, petrol's getting a lot more expensive. We can look around and we can feel like we're not very well off. But actually, the reality is, most of us are so much better off than most of the people living on this planet right now, and better off than pretty much any generation that's ever come before us. We need to make space in our lives for humble gratitude, for the incredible things that we have that so many people in the world don't have. 
In the last few weeks, as I've been preparing this talk and thinking about this and challenging myself a bit about this, um, I've tried to adopt a bit of a crazy mantra of flush tap bin, which, uh, there you are, there's some photos just to back me up on this. Um, but the reason I'm trying to do that is because I want to uh, try and pause when I'm doing these really basic things or using these really basic things in my home and re be reminded of actually how incredibly privileged I am to have these things. So if I turn on a tap and get a drink of water, I'm trying to just pause for a second and thank God for that. Because 771 million people around the world still don't have access to clean water close to home. One in 10 people. And when I flush the toilet, I want to thank God because 1.7 billion people in the world, one in five, don't have a decent toilet of their own. And then when I take the bin out. Now, I say when I take the bin out. I don't take the bin out. Matt takes the bin out because I hate taking the bin out. It's like the worst job in the world in the like, kind of spectrum of household chores. Like Bin is like down here at the very bottom end. But um, if I do have to take the bin out, which very occasionally I do, uh, I'm trying to actually turn my mind around to say, this is a really annoying job. My goodness, how privileged I am that we have rubbish collection because that is just not a given at all. Um, about two billion people in the world don't have any kind of waste collection. So actually, it's a massive privilege to be able to just go and get rid of our waste and someone takes it away and sorts it for us. So yeah, flash tap bin. Maybe you want to join me in that <laughs> in the coming weeks, just trying to force our minds to focus and thank God for how privileged we are. Because the reality is, I know not everyone does fall into this category, but if you do own a home and you own a car and you take holidays and you have change in your pocket, you're actually in the very top percentage of the world's income. We really easily focus in on what we don't have rather than what we do have. In the Acts 2 church that we were reading about at the start, they were using their money and their possessions to bless each other. Now, it's clear, if you read the whole of the New Testament, that the idea of, you see in Acts 2 of kind of holding everything in common, that, that wasn't widespread. That's not something that seems to continue beyond that very, very first church. And even in the Acts 2 church, they clearly still, of them still owned homes because they were meeting in each other's homes. They didn't sell everything and pull it. They still had homes that they met in. I guess the point is that the spirit was moving amongst them so that they responded to the needs that they saw around them. And some of that involved that they, they did sell things and then give the money to those who needed it. When it comes to money, I think the Bible calls us to faithfulness and generosity. So we're asked to be good stewards of the resources God gives us. And God asks us to look after our families, and that includes also our parents. And as people live longer, there's going to be a call on many of us to give our time and our resources to looking after our parents. It's really interesting that um, Jesus in Matthew 15, he calls out the Pharisees for permitting people to give away money and neglecting to look after their parents. So that's, yeah, a challenge for us, I guess, um, particularly, yeah, those of us whose parents are getting older. It's something that, yeah, is really clear from the Bible that we need to honor our parents, and that will include helping to look after them. So, <laughs> first and foremost, we need to be faithful with our money. Um, but then also, I think it's really clear from, from the Acts 2 passage and from the Bible in general that we are to be generous. And I think to be generous requires both planning and openness. And I really wrestled um, this week as to whether to share what I 
me and Matt do in terms of how we kind of try and do this um, planning and openness. Um, because I don't want to give the impression that we've got, like, nailed this. And we're like, you know, we're all completely sorted. And, um, yeah, we still absolutely need the, the spirit to work in our lives just as much. But as I reflected on it, I realized we didn't come up with the thing that we do. We were taught what we do. So I'm, I'm going to share it. And this is not because this is what everyone needs to do, but it might be helpful for, for some people. So first off, we have a budget. Um, probably not surprising because we both work for a debt advice charity. But I really, really encourage you that if you don't have a budget, that has to be the place to start because you need to know where you are and how much you have. And we might not like it, but our bank statements are actually a reflection of our hearts. And yeah, we need to bring that before God. And it's a lot of the time, I don't even think that it's not that we want to be generous. Sometimes we're just really busy and life just runs away from us. And so we just don't get to it. Um, so it's having that deliberate time set aside to look at what's happening with your money. And, and I just pause to say that if you, if you don't do a budget and then you did and you sat down and you realize that you've got more going out than you have coming in, please can I just yeah, encourage you to seek some help about that. There's loads of help and advice and support out there. And, yeah, it's not a nice place to be in, but there is, there is help available. So don't wait. Uh, seek out support for that. But assuming that you, if you have got more income than you have outgoings, then you can budget to give. So we set aside a portion of our income. And then most of our giving is actually done by direct debit and standing order because... For, I know for our church and for the other charities that we support, it's actually so helpful for them to know what they're going to have coming in. And so if we can do that and say, this is what we've pledged to give, that helps them to budget and then them to work out how to, to spend the money they're being given. So we have this kind of pot that's pre-assigned that goes out automatically every month. But then we actually keep a portion back and we make a point of trying to pray over that every month and think about how we're going to give this bit of money each month. And the reason for that is that we don't want our giving just to become completely subconscious. That something just happens in the background, we never think about it, and we never talk to God about it. So the idea is that we can then be spontaneous with that money as to what, what's in front of us that month and who God's putting in our path. It's just, yeah, really important that our giving doesn't just become a spreadsheet thing. It actually still flows out of love and out of response to God's generosity. Oak Church, the need in our community and our world is great, and it is likely to get greater. We need to be praying and getting ready for this coming winter, because the likelihood is this winter is going to be seriously tough for a lot of people. Energy costs are rising. They're going up probably by another 40% in the autumn, probably another 10% in January. Um, average cost of bill over the whole year for an average family will be about £3,300 by the time we hit January. It's no exaggeration to say there are a lot of people in our city who will be making incredibly difficult choices between heating and eating. And yeah, we need to be praying about that and getting ready for that. I'm often drawn back to the other John 3.16. Everyone knows John 3.16 because it's an amazing and beautiful and wonderful verse about um, about the gospel and about how Jesus has saved us. But um, I'm often drawn back to the other John 3.16, which is 1 John 3.16, or 1 John 3.16 to 18. And this is another verse that's, yeah, worth coming back to and worth memorizing, although it's incredibly challenging. This is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with sorry, let us love with word, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. I'm gonna have another go at that because I think I need to read that again. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So, to sum up, our vision for the oak is that we would be a spiritful people who overflow with generosity. And to do that, we always have to start with remembering that we serve a generous God and that we need his spirit to work on our hearts day after day, molding them, turning them from hearts that are curved inwards to hearts that are curved out to him and to our neighbor. Generosity is not just about money. Ask God what it is you have in your hand to give. But generosity is also about money. It's about remembering to be thankful for what we already have, making time to be grateful and to plan prayerfully to be generous people, reflecting God's love to each other and to the world. Amen.